Hello, and welcome back to the Unto Caesar podcast. Uh, this is episode number four, and today we're going to talk about Delaware. Let's dive into the lyrics. So this song is actually it's spliced in half. So the first part of the song uses lines from a poem called America by Claude McKay um, that was published in 1921 in the magazine Liberator, which was a communist magazine in the United States. Um I have put the full poem in the book. I won't read the whole thing out. And then I interject in the middle and I close with the last lines of of his poem. And I'll make sure and make that clear. So let's get started. Although she feeds me bread of bitterness and sinks into my throat her tiger's tooth, stealing my breath of life, I will confess I love this cultured hell that tests my youth. And now me. This is not my story to tell. This is a world lost to me by age and by birth. But if I may, I'd learn it well and pull their stories from untethered page. Who am I to claim what God has given by right, like a thief cruelly born into the night? But if I may, I'd learn it well. I'd sing it loudly in a verse to tell of life that's lost under a familiar sky. But maybe not, who am I to try? And now back mckay darkly i gaze into the days ahead and see her might and granite wonders there beneath the touch of time's unerring hand like priceless treasures sinking in the sand all right let's dive into the history section american history is filled with places objects and regions that dot the landscape across the continental united states and into the farthest reaches of the pacific and alaska that personify the american story and american mythology few however hold the significance of the delaware river that runs down through new york and drains into delaware bay it played a significant role in the american revolution and the painting of general washington crossing the delaware in the dead of night standing at a ship's prow might be the closest thing american ethos has to zeus casting lightning down from mount olympus the story of the american revolution is something that has been retold remade and committed to a sense of legend that bears little resemblance to what actually took place the british colonies in north america and their citizens believed up until their declaration of independence from the british empire and some continued to hold that belief long after the war was over, that they were true-born English citizens that should be afforded all of the same rights and privileges that any person born in London had. In truth, while the North American colonies were a jewel in the British crown, they were of little consequence to the overall financial stability of the empire and its imperial reach across the rest of the world. Colonies in the West Indies were far more profitable, primarily due to slave labor, and were significantly more important to the British, which is why a majority of their deployed naval forces during the Revolutionary War in the Atlantic stayed around Jamaica to protect it from from French conquest. In the early stages of the Revolutionary War, the American Continental Army, led by General George Washington, suffered a series of defeats at the hands of the British. Throughout 1776, the British forces under General William Howe had successfully captured New York City and forced the American troops to retreat through New Jersey and into and into Pennsylvania. By December, the Continental Army was in a dire state. Morale was extremely low. The army was disorganized. Many soldiers had deserted and those who remained were poorly clothed and ill-equipped for the winter weather. Additionally, enlistments were about to expire for many soldiers at the end of the year meaning the army was at risk of disintegrating. 
recognizing the need for decisive action to boost morale and to keep the cause alive, Washington devised a daring plan to cross the icy Delaware River on Christmas night and launch a surprise attack on the Hessian garrison at Trenton, New Jersey. The Hessians were a German mercenary band hired by the British. On the night of December 25th, in the freezing temperatures and amid ice flows on the river, Washington led around 2,400 of his troops across the Delaware. Crossing was accomplished with great difficulty using Durham boats, which were large, heavy cargo boats. The Continental Army then marched nine miles to Trenton, arriving on the morning of December 26th. In what is known as the Battle of Trenton, they caught the Hessian forces by surprise, and after a short but fierce battle, the Americans captured more than 900 Hessians with minimal casualties on the American side. Consequently, the Battle of Trenton did several things for the Continental Army. It boosted morale, encouraged attention of enlisted soldiers, the victory encouraged French support after the American revolutionaries demonstrated they could in fact defeat British forces in combat, and created a momentum for Washington politically that despite the continued supply and enlistment challenges he faced throughout the war, his belief in providence of the cause and dogged determinism eventually led to victory in 1783. It is impossible to overstate the significance of the American Revolutionary War and the, and the founding of the United States of America. Of course, there are stories that are told by popular culture as to why the war was fought, including independence and sovereignty, representation, and the continuing disparity between English people and those who were born and raised in what is now the United States. While these are all true to a degree, the political and social repercussions are inordinately complex, and they are full of contradictions that led the United States to fight its way across the West, go to war multiple times with Britain, Spain, Mexico, and eventually against ourselves. The crossing of the Delaware is emblematic of something that is truly American, a deep-seated determination to fight for and achieve by any means necessary the mastery of our own destinies. No people, nation, or political system is perfect, and the United States is no different. But the dream of the United States, the original dream, was one of equality before the law, the self-determination of its citizens, and a government made up of the people, for the people, and by the people. Abraham Lincoln summed up the potential of the United States best by saying, quote, Fellow citizens, we cannot escape history. We of this Congress and this administration will be remembered in spite of ourselves. No personal significance or insignificance can spare one or another of us. The fiery trial through which we pass will light us down in honor or dishonor to the latest generation. We say we are for the Union. The world will not forget that we say this. We know how to save the Union. The world knows we do know how to save it. We, even we here, hold the power and bear the responsibility. In giving freedom to the slave, we assure freedom to the free, honorable alike in, in what we give and what we preserve. We shall nobly save or meanly lose the last best hope of earth. Other means may succeed. This could not fail. The way is plain, peaceful, generous, just. A way which if followed, the world will forever applaud and God must forever bless. 1862. The poem America by Claude McKay is an interesting personification of the United States in the early 20th century. Claude McKay was a Jamaican-American writer and poet who was a seminal figure in the Harlem Renaissance, a cultural movement in the 1920s that celebrated African-American literature, art, and music. 
He was born on September 15, 1889, in Clarendon, Jamaica, and passed away on May 22, 1948, in Chicago, Illinois. He immigrated to the United States in 1912 to attend Tuskegee uh, Institute, which is now Tuskegee University, and later studied at Kansas State University. He spent most of his adult life in the United States, but he also traveled extensively in Europe and lived in various in various countries for periods of time. America focuses on several themes, the conflict of love, hate, racial tensions, and discrimination in the United States, the importance of resilience and strength in adversity, the industrialization of American society, and hope for the future. These are all concepts that are just as present in America today as they were in the 20s, and were even present in in the Revolutionary War. America has always been a contradictory place, but what should unite us is our belief in civil liberties, the self-determination of the individual, and equality before the law, no matter the circumstance. This is the dream, and the, quote, great hope of the United States. Our actions do not always live up to our words or proclamations, but as a people, we have never failed to aspire to, to greatness, to a higher standard, an example to the rest of the world. That's the end of the written section of Delaware. I think there's just a few things that I want to touch on. Um, I don't think people today fully appreciate how tenuous the American uh, situation was during the Revolutionary War. Um, I mean, to say that the Continental Army was a ragtag band is literally one of the biggest understatements ever. Um, people would desert. The enlistments were were short. They were underpaid uh, or never paid. Um, and and Washington, who had been a British soldier, you know, he he looked at the Continental Army and realized that this is an absolute shambles. It took quite some time for the people in the Continental Congress and the populace to believe in him as as a leader, and the Battle of Trenton helped helped do that. Um, but also, he was surrounded by people that aided him in the best ways possible. A few names that come to mind are Nathaniel Green, uh, Arquis de Lafayette, and von Steuben. Um, the latter two were French and uh, German respectively. I referenced a few different books, but the ones by Ellis about the Revolutionary War are particularly instructive. Um, And they're a lot more modern, too. So there's... um, The perspective is much more broad. Uh, But you get the sense that, I mean, Washington at most times is is at the absolute end of his rope. He's he's begging for money, he's begging for troops, he's begging for supplies, and he's just not getting it. So at a certain point, it comes to, you know, he's going to have to win this war on his own, or at least prove that he's worthy of assistance. And, you know, American history likes to present itself as like we have this very uh, unilateral view of independence from Britain, and we really didn't. I mean, it took quite some time for even the Continental Congress to agree that they wanted to be an independent state that was separate from England. It was never from the outset, we don't want to be English anymore. We wanted to be English, but we just wanted to have the same rights afforded to us that were afforded to people born in England. And there's also this idea that the uh, colonies were united and they really weren't. I mean, each colony had its own 
had its own charter that was granted to it by the crown. Um, they each had different systems of government that were n- not really comparable. And out of like the 26 c- colonies that were in North America, only 13 of them actually revolted. And they were the least consequential ones of all. Britain, I don't think we should kid ourselves. If they wanted to win that war, they would have won that war. But in Parliament especially, it just was not seen as worthwhile. It was a waste of money. It was a waste of time and effort of the British Navy, especially when you had cash cows in the uh, West Indies that were many multitudes more profitable than anything going on in America. British interest in North America was primarily concerned with A, making money, and B, keeping France out. Um, and they didn't really see the 13 colonies that that uh, went in into a rebellion as so important that they could not lose them. It was more of, of a sense of, of, of honor, and that's why a majority of the Navy spent their time near... Uh, Jamaica, Barbados, um, the Bahamas, uh, the Cayman Islands, places like that. Because if they lost those islands, they were screwed financially. Um, And there's also this idea that the colonies seceded from Britain because they were worried about uh, the abolition of slavery, which is also not true. Britain kept slavery legal in its colonies until 1807. So back when uh, the Revolutionary War was being fought, there was no real belief that slavery would be abolished in its colonies. It was being abolished in England itself, but not not abroad. And nobody could perceive that that would be true anyway because so much of their financial stability relied on slavery. Uh, all, all of the money coming in from India wasn't actually coming in yet. The extreme wealth of the British Empire that is kind of characterized in the Victorian age that hadn't that hadn't started yet. Um, there was still many major wars to fight before Britain was a world superpower and became the the largest empire on earth. So there's a lot of of confusion around why the United States did what it did, and I think that those Ellis books do a really good job of of showcasing that. I also think it's really easy to get hung up on the on the moral character and the moral framework of the age, especially that of the founding fathers. And I'll cover this a little more in detail on the analysis uh, section. But the, the one thing that I would say is that um, I think it's really important whenever we think about history and we think about the people that, that enacted what we now perceive to be history, we take them at face value for what they said and what they did in the time in which they lived. But we also can think about it in terms of today. There are obvious contradictions in the Declaration of Independence and the con- in the um, Constitution that were just so glaring. People were not unaware of them, especially in, in England and even in the United States. You know, the the famous line that gets tossed around is, you know, how is it that the loudest cries for freedom come from the people that own slaves? Uh, and that that's true. There are dramatic contradictions there, but there's contradictions in all of our lives. That's a part of, of being human beings. That doesn't change the aspiration of the United States, and that doesn't change 
the aspiration of what the United States could be or it might be or what it sought to be and what it still seeks to be, whether or not you buy into any of that is up to you. And I think it's really easy to just like give yourself a pass and say, okay, well, this is really complicated. Let's not get into it. Um, and or feel so passionately about it that you it's hard to take all of the evidence in. Um, and I'm certainly not qualified to, to, to do that. I'm not a historian, but uh, I do think as much as it's possible to learn and understand the frameworks of the past that led to the present is enormously important. And I don't think that we can understand our position now without understanding where we were. And again, I, I plan on getting more into this on episode nine. Um, just to speak a little bit about the music itself, um, this was maybe the first or second song that I completed for the record. I wanted it to feel really cinematic. This was my first exploration into that, which eventually became a very cinematic record. I think the whole thing sounds like kind of like a movie theme, which is cool. Um, but the drums really highlight that. And there's also this, this build and the build is the best part because I think that is emblematic of, of kind of the idea here, right? Is there's this like, uh, this pulsing, this racing of the heart that culminates in this explosion that we're still seeing the effects of today. And I think, you know, it's easy for me to look back and say like, okay, I was consciously thinking about that when writing the song. I don't think anybody can honestly know that one way or the other, but um, the, the fact that it turned out that way or kind of uh, flowed that way um, makes sense. And I think it fits the purpose also. So yeah, thanks again. And we'll see you in the next one.